Well, this morning, this morning we're going to talk about two of the most important truths you will ever hear. And they're wrapped in an intense, dramatic story, and so we're going to jump right in. Uh, the passage introduces the idea, for the first time in this book, of the idea of justification. And the, the opposite of justification is condemnation. Uh, condemnation is to be declared guilty. Justification is to be declared innocent or not guilty. It is to be declared righteous. And the gospel teaches that God makes us right with him, forgiving us, accepting us, welcoming us, not on the basis of anything that we did or do, but on the basis of what Christ did for us. And so the glory of the gospel is that someone like you and me, who have sinned, uh, who have failed to live up to the ideal life that God requires, we can be just before God simply and only by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's not something that just happened way back sometime when you first believed. You never get beyond that. To, today you are right with God. Today you are accepted by God. Today God welcomes you with open arms, not on the basis of your performance, but on the basis of what Christ did for you. He loved you and gave himself for you so that you could enjoy this status with God. So, first of all, this, the first uh, amazing, important truth that, that this uh, passage introduces us to is the concept or the truth, the doctrine of justification, this amazing truth that we've just, just talked about. Acceptance with God, not on the basis of our own performance, but on the basis of Christ's work and what he did for us. But this passage also introduces us to the amazing truth that Jesus Christ lives in us. In people who are justified, Jesus Christ comes to live within them, to indwell them. I, later on it says, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Also, by faith alone, Jesus Christ comes to live within you by his spirit. A few weeks ago I said, the definition of a Christian is someone in whom Christ lives by his spirit. He comes to live his life through you. Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ living, it's Christ expressing himself. It's Christ manifesting himself through me. That's what life is all about now. Christ living through me. So the cross of Christ cancels out your sins and the spirit of Christ heals you and makes you whole. So there's something that Christ did for you on the cross and there's something that he did in you through his spirit. And these are the, the, the twofold aspects of the gospel. These are the, the two important, uh, magnificently important truths of the gospel. And there is nothing that you can do to earn any of this. 
you cannot be morally good enough to cause God to do this for you. There are no laws or rules that you can keep to make this happen. Laws cannot save anybody. Laws cannot heal anybody. There's no rules that you, that you can keep to cause Jesus to live within you. So what Christ accomplished for you at the cross and what he accomplishes in you now by his spirit needs nothing else added to it to make it happen or to make it work for you. Nothing but faith. You can only receive it by trusting in Christ, by placing all of your trust into Christ, by believing into Jesus Christ, totally relying, trusting, believing in him. You can only receive it. And so the amazing thing is that through, through faith in Christ alone, you possess a, a justification, a right standing with God. You, put, you possess a justification so complete that no law or ceremony or anything that you could ever do could be added to it to make you any more right with God than you already are. You possess a forgiveness so total that nothing else could be done to make you any more forgiven. You possess a new life in the spirit that cannot be regulated by laws or rules and that, and that does not need to be regulated by laws or rules. Remember what later on in the book Paul will say, if, if we walk by the spirit, we're not under the law. We, there's, we, we, don't, we don't have a need for that. But the point of this passage, if, if these things are true, then we must live like these things are true. We must show people by the way we, the, the way we live that we are confident in what Christ did for us and that we believe that was enough. We must place our security completely in this acceptance that we have with God through Christ. And we must actually believe that other people who believe in Christ are also accepted by God through faith in Christ alone. And we must treat other people who are justified like they are justified and accepted by God because they are. So we accept one another, and when I say one another, I'm talking about other believers, those who have believed into Christ, those who have placed their trust in Christ. We accept one another as justified people. We associate with one another as justified people. We associate with one another as those who are right with God, who are given a right standing through Jesus Christ. We welcome one another into our hearts. We welcome one another with open arms, regardless of how different we might be. We welcome one another with, with open arms because God has welcomed us through Christ. So we don't require other believers to follow certain outward rules or requirements before we embrace them in fellowship. Uh, we treat one another, as the Bible says, as fellow heirs of the grace of life 
Again, no matter how different our lives might be in other ways, we, through Christ, we are fellow heirs of the grace of life. So you don't, you don't treat your spouse as a condemned person, but as a justified person. We don't treat one another in the body of Christ as condemned people, but as justified, dear, dearly beloved fellow heirs of the grace of life. And even the fact, the truth, the reality that Jesus Christ lives in us, we are to live that out. We are, we are we're to believe in it in such a way that, that we actually... That we actually do believe it. I mean, this is not. These are not just. These are not just doctrines or theories or concepts. These are, these are things that we grasp onto, that we hold onto, and we let them affect the flow of our life and how we live in every aspect. So, if Jesus Christ lives in us by His Spirit, then, as Paul says, we are free to live for God without laws, because we have the powerful working of the Spirit of Christ within us. We don't try to manage our own lives by self-effort or self-helps. And we don't try to impose a set of rules or laws on other believers as though that is what they need to heal them. So we, we don't try to manage our own lives that way. We don't try to manage other people that way. It's the Spirit that people need. It's the work of the cross and the work of the Spirit that makes people whole. That's what we call people to. So... In all things, with all people, in all situations, by the grace of God, we are to live out this doctrine that we are justified and accepted by faith alone in Christ. And we are to live out this doctrine that Christ lives in us by His Spirit. Yet, the story in this chapter, and even the example of the Apostle Peter, illustrates how hard it can be to do this often because of pressure from other people and fear of other people. You know, we all, we all want to fit in. We, we don't want people to think we're out in left field. Uh, we want to look and be acceptable to other people. We want to we we get in line, so to speak. We, we don't want to look like we're the oddball. And so fear from other people can press us to, into making decisions doing things that are not truly in line with the liberty and the grace and the glory of the gospel. In this chapter, or in this this group of verses, the Apostle Peter came to Antioch. And Antioch was a city where Paul was living and preaching at the time. And there were many Jews in Antioch who had received Christ. And there were many... Gentiles or non-Jews there who had also received Christ. Well, uh, based on Paul's teaching of the, of the gospel that we've just explained and also on what Peter knew to be true, Peter and Paul and the other Jews, Barnabas, they were all fellowshipping together. Um, they, they knew that Based, based on what Paul had taught and based on what Peter also had taught and believed, they knew that Jews and non-Jews were right with God through faith in Christ. And so 
They were freely eating together. They were, they were just enjoying one another's company. They fellowshiped together at meals. They, I can just imagine them sitting down at a meal and telling stories, talking to one, to one another, laughing together, enjoying food together, enjoying one another's company. They probably shared the Lord's uh, Supper together. Uh, in Christ, they knew they were not under the food laws of the Old Testament, so they freely ate and drank together. God had already shown Peter prior to this that the laws and restrictions about food were obsolete, that God had taken them away. If you're familiar with the story in Acts, God gave Peter a vision, showed him all kinds of animals, and then a voice spoke up and said, Arise, kill, and eat. God has declared these things clean, so don't dare call unclean what God has called clean. So Jews and Gentiles can eat together in Christ. They can eat the same foods. Peter can eat with the Gentiles. Peter knew that, and he had been doing that. In Acts 10.28, he said, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So, again, Peter, Paul, Barnabas, all the Jews, all the Gentiles, they were living out the gospel in a very practical way in who they ate with and what they ate. Whether Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, we are all justified before God on the same basis by faith in Christ so we accept one another. We enjoy one another. We eat with one another. But something happened. Something happened to change this this free and beautiful fellowship that was going on at Antioch. I mean, this is, this has really been a lovely thing to see. All these people of these diverse backgrounds, Jew and Gentile, those un- who had been raised under the law and those without the law, all just fellowshipping, enjoying, talking together freely. But again, I say something happened to change this free and beautiful fellowship. Certain men, it says, came from James. They're called the party of the circumcision. And they, they were dead set against this new idea of liberty from the law. They said, you, you have to keep the Jewish law in addition to your faith in Jesus. Therefore, Jews must keep separate from Gentiles and they must keep a separate diet. And these men obviously did not accept the full truth of the gospel. They did not believe in being justified before God by faith in Christ alone. And they simply would not let go of these things that they had held on to for so long. They had held on to these things for so long to make them acceptable to God. They considered that these things made them acceptable to God and they needed to be added on to faith in Jesus. So when these, these guys or this group came to Antioch, Peter was afraid of them. And I don't know if you kind of can picture what's going on here or not, but if you've ever been in a situation where something comes up or maybe you become aware of a situation or somebody comes into the room that 
strikes fear in your heart, but you know how it's sort of a sort of a situation of nervousness or panic, and fear just begins to build up in your heart and your thoughts. Well, Peter became afraid. He became terrified of these men. He knew that they would be upset. He knew that they would be angry if they saw him eating with the Gentiles and eating Gentile foods. And so he caved into the pressure of appeasing these men. He, he acted out of fear. And, you know, instead of renouncing his fear and doing what God called him to do, he let, he let that fear well up in him and dominate his, his life and his actions at this point. How much, how much better it would have been if Peter had said, like Paul, you know, we did not give in to them for a moment. But unfortunately, Peter was overcome with fear. You know, fear of people and fear of wanting to be accepted by people, fear of pleasing people or wanting to please people out of fear, I'll say, all these things keep us from really living for God and enjoying it. These are the the things that keep us from living out the freedom and the glory of the gospel. You know, the Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. You know, I mean, everything can be great about your life. And you can really possess this freedom and this liberty that we're talking about. But fear can come in like a snare and keep you from really enjoying this new life that Christ purchased for you. The fear of man brings a snare. Fear probably leads to more sin than any other emotion. You cannot serve fear and God. You'll you'll either serve your fears or you'll serve God. And if, if fears and insecurities are allowed to dominate your life, it will just lead to all kinds of disobedience to God. Well, Peter feared. He with, it says he withdrew or he stopped eating with the Gentiles. He stopped eating with these non-Jews. And when the other Jewish believers saw this, they also stopped eating with the Gentiles. And even Barnabas got up and left the table where he'd been sitting and eating. Makes you wonder what these Gentiles felt like. I mean, when, if you're sitting at a table and everybody starts to, leave, to, to get up and leave, it sort of makes you feel funny. I'm sure, sure they had some very unpleasant feelings over this sense of, really over the sense of rejection by Peter, Barnabas, and these other Jews. Well, I don't know if you get, get the feeling of this from, from, from just reading the passage, but... This is truly one of the most tense and explosive situations in the entire Bible. Here you have Peter, considered the chief of the apostles, Paul, the other leading apostle. You have this delegation from Jerusalem that are evidently leaders and influential, powerful men. The pressure to conform to their expectations is enormous. The pressure is intense. It's so intense that Peter himself is influenced and overcome by this pressure. 
He's influenced by these men from Jerusalem. Paul's best friend and fellow worker, Barnabas, went along with them. All the Jews, all these Jewish Christians there in the city of Antioch, they followed along with Peter and the party of the circumcision. And like Paul is all by himself. I mean, he is all alone in his position. There's not one other person who's aligned with him. And yet, he sees that this is an extreme crisis. He sees that this is a, a, a crisis for the gospel, and he speaks up. Verse 14 says, When Paul saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, he confronted Peter in front of them all. Now, usually when I've read this story, I feel sorry for Peter at this moment. <laughs> I mean, nobody likes to be confronted, let alone being for confronted in public. I mean, that's, that's like, uh, that's like the, about the most uh, embarrassing, painful thing that you can, you can endure. Somebody calls you out in public. So usually when I've read this story, I've thought, oh, poor Peter. <laughs> but this time when I've studied it, studied it I, while I, I do have some empathy for Peter here, uh, I think of what what tremendous fears and pressure Paul must have overcome to speak up here. I mean, he's, he's the one that's all alone. Peter's got a lot of company in what he's doing. Paul is the one that, that had to stand all by himself on the faith and the truth of the gospel and say, hey, what you guys are not doing, or what you guys are doing is not in line with the gospel. So why did he do this? Well, Peter's actions denied the gospel of acceptance by God through faith in Christ alone. Now, Peter believed that. Peter believed that we are accepted through through faith in Christ alone. In, In fact, Peter did believe in our liberty from the law as a basis of our acceptance and salvation and being welcomed by God. But he acted like we are not free from the law because of the pressure of this group of people. And that was hypocrisy. He communicated by his actions that faith in Christ was not enough. Now, I bet if you asked Peter, is faith in Christ enough to save us? He would have said, absolutely. But by his actions, he was saying, uh, giving a different message. He was saying that faith in Christ is not enough. You need to, to keep the, the, the Jewish laws. You need, to, you need to abstain from fellowship with Gentiles. You need to abstain from eating what they, they eat. He gave the impression that if you eat what Gentiles eat, you sin. If you do not eat with them, you are righteous. But of course... The gospel says that is not the basis of our righteousness. Whether you eat or drink doesn't have anything to do with our righteousness before God. It is, again, through faith in Christ alone. So, verse 14 continues, and this is going to be my paraphrase of that verse. Peter, you are a Jew, but you have been living like a Gentile. You are a Jew, but you've been living in liberty like a non-Jew until these law enforcement people came from Jerusalem. 
So how can it make sense now for you to make the non-Jews follow Jewish laws and customs? You haven't even been following them yourself. And that's what he says, Peter, as a Jew, you've been living like a non-Jew. Okay? So why are you going to enforce these laws on everybody now when you have not even been keeping them yourself? And for good reason, because they're, that's, they're not a part of the gospel now. They're not a part of the good news. They're not a part of the message of Christ. They're not a part of the message of justification. Verse, four, uh, verse 15 says, We who are Jews by birth have seen that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, We who are Jews have seen. The Jews have tried to please God by keeping the law and had miserably failed. They knew, the Jewish people, in a profound sense or in a profound way, they knew that they could not get right with God by keeping all the laws. I'm not saying all Jews saw that, but those Jews who came to faith in Christ certainly did see that. We have seen, we who are Jews by birth have seen that a man is not justified by observing the law. Verse 16, so we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law no one will be justified. So again, Paul is emphasizing that even we who are Jews have come to Christ. We have come to Jesus Christ. Without our law-keeping, without our best efforts, without our spiritual performance, we have come only to receive justification as a gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And then Paul adds this very powerful statement, for no one will be justified by keeping the law. The most moral person in the world, the nicest guy you've ever met, the nicest lady you've ever met, the most religious person in the world, the most Jewish person in the world who keeps all the Jewish laws or tries to keep all the Jewish laws, no one will be right before God on the basis of their goodness or their works. Then verse 17, if, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. I'm not going to take a lot of time on this verse, but here's what Paul is saying. Peter was acting now <clears throat> by withdrawing from the, from the Gentiles, by pulling away from Gentile fellowship and by from pulling away from Gentile food. Peter was acting now as if he had been sinning when he was eating with them. And if he was sinning, when eat, by eating with the Gentiles, then Christ promotes sin because it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that has led us to live free from the law and therefore free to eat together and even eat the same things. I hope that makes sense. Okay? So, if that was sinning, then you've made Christ a promoter of sin. If everybody eating together and talking and enjoying one another's company freely in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in Christ, 
If that was sinning, then you've made Christ a promoter of sin, which is an abhorrent thing to think and obviously not true. The, the New Living Translation gets this, I think, right. It says, but, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law to eat with Gentiles. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Basically, Paul was saying it wasn't sinful for you to eat with one another because we've been freed from the, from the laws that would, would make it so. Then Paul goes on, verse 18, rather, or instead of that, instead of, instead of that being true, rather I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law I already tore down. I realize we're, t- we're dealing with some, some, some comp- complex things and we're going to camp on these things and go deeper into the next few weeks. But the, but the, the logic is, is, is part of the story and it's, it's a powerful part of it. Paul's saying, well, I already destroyed the law as a basis of our acceptance with God. That's what the gospel does. The gospel destroys your performance, law-keeping, rule-keeping, your works, it destroys that as a basis of acceptance with God. Paul says, I already destroyed that. So now, if I go back and try to rebuild that by saying, you've got to be circumcised, you can't eat with the Gentiles, you can't eat the Gentile food, all of that, he said, then, then, I, then I really am a transgressor. <clears throat> to go back and reestablish law and works as the basis of our salvation, Paul says, would be a terrible transgression against God. Because God has set us free from that through the gospel of, new, of Jesus Christ, through the new covenant message. Verse 19, for through the law, I died to the law that I might live for God. He says something, something big time has changed. Something really big has changed. Through the law, I died to the law that I might live for God. When I tried to meet, Paul's saying, when I tried to meet all the requirements of the law, the law condemned me or it, it killed me. I died. It brought me to a place of utter despair. It brought me to a place of death and hopelessness. And not to get too deeply into this, but you know, Paul talks about this in Romans 7. The, the law comes along and it says, you shall not covet anything that anybody else has. Right? That's, that's what the law says. Well, Paul says, okay, I was doing fine until I, I read, I saw that law came in, and in, instead, of helping, instead of helping you not covet, you see how you do covet other people's things and their circumstances or their spouse or their job or their gifts or whatever. And so the, the law comes in and it exposes you. When you're put up against the law, it proves you to be a lawbreaker. It condemns you. It finds you guilty. It, it shows you to be and makes you see that you are a guilty, broken, hopeless sinner. And as a guilty, broken, hopeless sinner, then you turn away from the law to Christ to justify you to make you acceptable to God and you put your trust completely in Christ to make you welcomed into God's presence. 
And so in that sense, you, you, you died to the law. You became unresponsive to the law. You've turned away from the law to Christ. To die means to no longer be responsive or to be alive, which means to be freed from it. And Paul said, I had to die to the law so I could really live for God. And he's going to go, go, go on and tell him now how he, lives, how he really lives for God. Not, not, not on the base of the law. I had to die to the law so that I could really live for God. And it's now he's going to say it's by, because of, by, I live now by Christ living in me, not by keeping the law. The law is good and what it says is good. But it, it does not give you the power to live for God. It takes, your, it takes your temperature and it tells you you are sick, but it cannot heal you. It cannot make you whole. I love the song we've been singing, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. It's the gospel that heals you. It is the gospel that makes you just before God. It is the gospel that makes you welcomed into God's presence. And the gospel comes not merely with, okay, you're right in God's presence now, go, go, go work this out on your own. No, Paul says we don't, you know, we don't begin with the gospel and then end by the flesh, which we'll get into in the next chapter. No, the gospel comes not really, merely with, the, with a list of commandments to keep to please God, but it comes with the life of Jesus Christ dwelling in you to enable you to please God. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ lives in you by his spirit. So it is no longer you who live, and so life, life is now not, not basically rule-keeping or law-keeping. Life is now trusting Him moment, moment by moment to manifest Himself in and through you. Trusting Christ to express Himself through you. You go through your day and you, know, you, you just, you, Jesus, I trust in you to show yourself through me to my spouse. Throw your, show yourself through me to my kids. I'm going to meet with this person. Lord, let your love shine through me. Let, let you be seen through me. Let your, let your life flow out through me. So every day becomes a spiritual adventure, not of following a list, a list of laws, but experiencing a person, Jesus Christ, living through you, expressing himself through you, manifesting himself through you. And the only thing that can kill the joy and the glory and the freedom of this is for you to forget the gospel. Is for you to forget what God, really what God has done for you. And to go back and try to put yourself on some sort of law-keeping performance basis. To try to go and put yourself back under uh, some kind of law-keeping like like what Peter did when these people came from Jerusalem and wanted everybody to still keep the law. Well, this is an easy trap to fall into. And I think most of us stumble into it at times. Some 
Christians uh, seem to never really escape the pressure of law-keeping and the fear of those who would compel them into a law-keeping kind of Christianity. Um, they, they are not happy. They're not free. They don't really enjoy fellowship with the saints. They're, they're constantly judging and criticizing other believers. They don't, they don't see the, the Christian life as a glorious thing, an amazing thing. Uh, they don't see the gospel as a glorious answer to life. They don't see the gospel as bringing us all together in, in incredible fellowship and love for one another and acceptance of one another. So, I'd like to end by just briefly considering what, what does this all mean for you? What does this mean for people like us here at, at Real Life Church? Uh, number one, it's just so important to to get and then keep a clear understanding in your own mind of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of, of what Christ did for you and what he does in you by his spirit. It is just so important to, 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 to keep that always before you and to, be, to, not, to not let that get muddled. Absorb it into your life. Let the gospel affect how you think about yourself. Don't think about yourself without the, tr- without the truth of the gospel. Don't think, about, don't think about your relationship with God without thinking about it in terms of Christ and what he gained for you and did for you and attained for you. Uh, don't think about other people without thinking about other, particularly other believers here in this context. Don't think about other believers without thinking about them in terms of who you are and who they are in Christ and under the truth of the gospel. Number two, Uh, Do not let law-keeping people pressure you into a rule-based Christianity through fear of displeasing them. You know, we all know what it is like to act out of fear instead of what is right and true. I mean, social pressure is a powerful pressure. And pressure even within the Christian community can be a powerful pressure. Even Peter fell. I mean, if Peter fell, we can stumble in this too. I remember years ago, I saw a candid camera clip where they were having everybody in the elevator face the back of the elevator. So when the elevator doors opened, uh, the people waiting to get on the elevator would see all the, all the people in the elevator standing facing the back of the elevator. Well, when, when, the, when the next person gets on the elevator, guess what they do? They stand and face the back of the elevator. I mean, the power of peer pressure is incredible. And so we need, we need to be, 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 be aware of this. We, we need to be, be careful to not act like Peter did in this situation, but to act like what Paul did. If a person comes on with a very uh, legalistic version of the Christian life, it's very easy to cave, cave into that. Uh, I remember uh, years ago, someone just told me emphatically, and more than just emphatically, I mean, I would call it legalistically, I mean, they just hard-nosed on this, that... If you don't do spiritual journaling, you will, in other words, keeping a diary of your thoughts and what God's telling you, which I think is actually a good idea. But they were, they were, if you don't do this, you will never amount to anything. You will never grow up spiritually. You know, you're, you'll basically be a spiritual schmuck your whole life if you don't do spiritual jur- journaling. And you know, you hear stuff like that, and it can make you, it, it can make you feel like, well, I must be a terrible Christian. I'm, I really must not be very accepted with God because I don't do spiritual journaling. And, and then maybe you, you start to take on a task like that in order to, 
to gain acceptance with God. And maybe you do it to gain acceptance with this person that's putting pressure on you to, to do that. And you, so all of a sudden the Christian life becomes this thing which you're all bound up and trying to do things to gain acceptance with God, to perform for God, and to gain acceptance with other people. And all of a sudden you've lost the glory, the liberty, the freedom, and the joy of the gospel. Paul says we're called to freedom, and so we're at, it says we're to act as free people. Not free to indulge a sinful nature, of course, but free to live for God without rules and ceremonies or rituals. Some people who have never grasped the glory of justification, the glory of Christ living in us by His Spirit, use the Bible or as kind of a list of verses uh, and they, they turn them into a, a list of laws and then they impose them on other people with kind of a harshness and condemnation. And you, 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 you can actually take the, the New Covenant, the epistles, and you, you can kind of transform them into, you can take them out of the tone and the spirit in which they're written and you can, you can turn them into kind of a harsh, strict, condemning law. But it, the Word of God... The New Covenant was not given to us in that spirit. It's, it's written to justified people for instructions for life that we have in the, the spirit. And I don't, I don't mean that to minimize anything that the Bible says is extremely important. We take it with very weightiness. But, we, but, we, but yet we don't, we don't turn it into to a set of laws that are harsh and, and condemning. Number three... Well, let me say one other thing on that. You know, when someone does stumble, and people do need to be corrected. I mean, it's not like we, it's not like, you know, we accept one another, but that doesn't mean we accept their sin and say, well, that's, their sin is right now because they're justified. I mean, that's, there's some elements in the church that say that's kind of, you can live any kind of immoral lifestyle and that's, uh, you know, you're justified so it doesn't really matter. Uh, no, we're not saying that. But when someone does stumble and sin and needs to be restored, we don't call them back to rules or laws, but we call them back to Christ and to the Spirit. Number three, if we understand that we all are justified only by faith in Christ and that no one is justified by law-keeping, then we will view one another as all being on the same plane. And that's, that's what Paul means, where we are all one in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free. We're, there, there's this leveling out of our relationships. There's, there's no place for someone to be up here, someone to be down here. I mean, certainly there's, there's authority structures in the home and the church. I'm not talking about that, but there's the sense in which, which we are just, we, we, we honor one another as being on the same level, all justified only by faith in Christ. We look down on no one who is in Christ. Uh, we, we will show respect for one another. We submit to one another. We associate with one another. We welcome one another as God has welcomed us. You know, if we, if we don't do that, I think, I think one way that we can tell when we've, we've, we've slipped out of this is, is, is when we become really, really harsh in our thinking of other people. You know, people who think they are of a special spiritual status by, by their own works or performance, um, or if they view their own law-keeping as making them more acceptable to God than others, then, then they become very critical of others. They hold themselves aloof from others. 
which is what was going on here in this chapter. Because for them, Christianity is still a matter of, of meeting performance standards. And if they keep, think they keep those standards better than other people, then they will look down on others, other, other Christians whom they deem less acceptable than they are. But we're all acceptable through Christ, which is great news. So, and then number four, we've been dealt with on the basis of grace, so we are gracious to other people. We've received grace, so we give grace. We're gracious to those in the family of God, but we're, we're also, we're just gracious people. Freely, Jesus said, you've received freely, freely you've received, freely give. We, we, just, we just become more gracious people when we understand this. Um, we have grace for the plumber that comes to our house to fix something. We have grace for the, for the, the, the clerk or the salesperson at the store. Um, we're, not, we're not just consumed about demanding our own rights. <laughs> um, we're, we're, we don't go through life with the idea that nobody's ever going to take advantage of me. I mean, we're... What, yeah, but you know, we're basically we're 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 here to to give, to bless, to be gracious to people because we have received so graciously from God through Christ. And the very last, I think we all need to face the fact that it is extremely hard to break loose from traditions and practices that we have at least at some time felt gave us merit with God other than the blood of Jesus. It's very difficult to let go of those things, maybe that we've held on to for a long time, that we thought somehow made us more acceptable to God, something other than the blood of Jesus Christ. So I would just leave you with that challenge. Let go of those things and glory in Christ Jesus only. Let's pray.